Welcome to Redeemer Fellowship Church. If you have your Bibles, uh, take them out, open them up. We're going to be in Acts chapter 9 today. We're going to be working through uh, verses 1 through 9. Uh, if you do not have a Bible, I say this every time, we have a blue Bible in the pew. If there's not one there, we have one in the book parlor for you, and we would be very, very thankful to be able to give that to you so that you can have God's Word with you. So like I said, we will be in Acts 9, verses 1 through 9. Let me just add really quick, too. I am super thankful that at Redeemer Fellowship Church, we have three pastors here. Um, Denton was able to take a vacation. I got to ask him last night, hey, did you feel like you got to unplug? He said yes. Uh, he got to enjoy his family, uh, and Aaron got to preach last week. Uh, I'm just thankful that the Lord has equipped us with able men who are able to teach God's Word and able to serve His church so that others can unplug. And didn't got to go worship with some other brothers and sisters in Florida. Florida? South Carolina, sorry, uh, with his family, and uh, I know that he was encouraged by the word that was preached that Sunday, too, so just want to say that really quick. So these past couple of weeks have been pretty awesome, actually. Um, the Lord has blessed me with uh, many opportunities to hear testimonies of other brothers and sisters that don't go here. Um, one is uh, our neighbor, her father. I got to hear his testimony. He's an older gentleman. And I've just been really thankful being able to hear those and see the Lord's grace providing salvation to sinners. Uh, and even this past Friday evening, uh, we were here having a uh, karaoke dance party to celebrate Asia's 15th birthday party, my second oldest daughter, and um, I was reminded of the grace that has been extended to me and extended to my brother Adam. Uh, as we spoke to Josh Murray of the uh, sinful, wicked state that we first knew each other in, uh, me and Adam go back about 15 years uh, but now we get to look back and we get to see the Lord's patience, the Lord's grace, the Lord's mercy uh, that has been extended to us as we were in our active rebellion uh, against him. And then I am preparing this sermon this week in Acts 9 which is the beginning of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And uh, I get to come this morning as a man, a sinful man, uh, who was once a hater of God, who has been transformed by His grace, who has uh, been equipped uh, and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And I get to open up God's Word and preach the gospel and preach the conversion of Saul, and I'm honestly a little bewildered, uh, but no less, I am eternally thankful, I am very grateful for the grace and mercy uh, in Jesus Christ. So, Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1. 
But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, man or woman, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, hey, Ian, if you could turn this down just a little bit. I'm hearing like a ringing. Thank you. Uh, Sorry. And uh, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You would bow your heads uh, and pray with me, please. Father, your grace that we find in Jesus Christ is truly something to behold and something to worship, um, something for us to stand in awe of. And I pray this morning that you would speak through me, uh, that you would work in the congregation and others who have gathered with us today, that you would send your spirit to them to open their eyes to see the revelation of Jesus Christ in your word. Father, we praise you for your grace that you extend to sinners. We praise you for your mercy. We praise you that Not only do we receive your grace and salvation, but you have also applied to us the gifts and the benefits of Christ in salvation, that we receive adoption as sons, that we receive an inheritance, that we receive your spirit, that you gift us the things of sanctification as we grow in hating our sin and loving you more. Um, Father, we just praise you for the work that you do in salvation. We praise you for your grace. And we thank you so much for it. I pray that you would be with us this morning. uh, That if there's any with us who do not know your gospel, that do not know the truth of Jesus Christ, that are rejecting the truth of Jesus Christ, that you would go ahead, stir in them an uncomfortability, that you would uh, convict them of their sin, that you would open their eyes to see the wonderful truth of the gospel of Jesus Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, as I have already alluded to, we get to take a close look at uh, the miraculous 
the supernatural saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, in the life of the one that we know as Paul. And we have spoken uh, some length of this man, previously known as Saul, uh, in previous weeks and how he persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. And we've already been witnesses. If you've been with us for a while, we've went through the book of Luke and uh, other books, and uh, we've seen the miraculous. So if you've been with us, you uh, have got to witness the miraculous work that God has performed. And now we're in the book of Acts, and we come to the conversion of Saul into Paul, and we get to witness even more miraculous works of God. And miracles are, are, are not a new thing for God. Uh, if you know anything about Jesus, if you were with us as we went through the book of Luke, uh, you know that Jesus turned water into wine. You know that he multiplied food to feed thousands. He healed the sick. He made the crippled walk. He made the blind see. He uh, cured people of leprosy. He raised men from the dead, and so on. And in Acts, we have seen the miraculous work of the spreading of the Holy Spirit. We have got to see the heavens opened up, and how God has miraculously moved in the planting of His church. We've got to see the amazing works of God, and we should give all of them attention, especially as we go through a verse at a time and a chapter at a time. We should give our attention to those things, uh, and we should praise God for them. But today, we get to see the most miraculous work that God performs, and that is the conversion of a sinner and of a hater of God into a saint and a lover of God a lover of His Word, and a lover of His church. Conversion, out of all of the miracles that we see in Scripture, uh, is by far the most miraculous and the most supernatural work that God alone performs in sinful man. And that is the primary thing that we get to see unfold today. And for the Christian in, in this room today, for the Christian, and not just in this room, for Christians all across eternity, the work that we see performed in Saul, the conversion that we see performed in Saul is the same work that has been done in you. Saul was given sight to see, as we will get to, given sight to see the glorious risen Savior, Jesus Christ, and just like Saul, you too have been gifted new sight to see the risen Savior. Just how Saul was transformed by the renewing work of the Holy Spirit and was given a new heart, was given a new mission 
Uh, just like Saul, who was once a hater of God and chief persecutor of his church, you too have been renewed by the Holy Spirit. You too have been given a new heart to love God and to love his bride. When we read this passage, and um, as we will read uh, later on in Acts, we see who Saul was before he became Paul, before saving faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, we witness the grace of Jesus Christ, and when we see this, it is an impossible, it is absolutely impossible to walk away and not think that the Lord can save whomever He chooses to save. There will be no barriers. There will be no, he's too sinful. He's too far gone. Which how often is that probably our mindset when not going forward with the gospel to individuals? So the Lord Jesus will save whomever he chooses and it will be effective. No matter how sinful a person is, no matter how proud they are when the Lord reveals himself to those whom he has chosen. They are struck to the heart of with conviction. They are lowered in humility. So that all they can say is praise God for his mercy. Praise God for his grace that he shows me a sinner. God saves the greatest of sinners. God does not look at an individual and see a good thing that they can bring to the table and then think, you know, I really could use them on my team. I actually said something like that about five months into conversion while I was online with, talking with the guy who had preached the gospel to me, Steve Carlisle. I said, man, if only he was saved, the church would be so great. And Steve looked at me and he goes, that is a stupid thing to say. <laughs> so thank you, Steve. <laughs> I love Steve. Uh, God does not look at an individual, see good in them, and say, I will save you because I will benefit from you. God instead sees a sinner and he says, in spite of you, I'm going to reveal my son to you. In spite of your wickedness, in spite of your sinfulness, I am going to save you. Now, not only is uh, this amazing saving grace that we see in the record of the conversion of Saul, the same saving grace that the Christian experienced, but what we will see today in the conversion of Saul is that the basic components of it are also the basic components that are true of all Christians this section of Scripture really is a portion of Scripture that gives us the conversion of sinners as a whole. Not just the conversion of Saul, although explicitly, yes. But this really is a picture of what conversion looks like in the Christian. All of the components are there. So now we can actually get into our text. Verse 1 through 2. 
But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Uh, just really quickly, the uh, the reference or the the words "belonging to the way" that was just a way back then that they identified Christians. That was the terms that were used. Belonging to the way that was a group of people that was a person who was following after Jesus, who was a disciple of Christ. So. Right here, though, we see a man that is filled with absolute hatred. A hatred of Christ, a hatred directed at Christ's church. We see a man that is bound and determined to rid the earth of the disciples of Jesus and to rid the earth of the message of Christianity. He breathed threats and murders at the disciples of Christ. So the same hatred uh, I preached on the stoning of Stephen. The same hatred that I preached on a couple weeks ago when Stephen was murdered is the same intense hatred that we see in Paul today, but it's even more. Saul's life mission was to destroy Christianity. We don't see the other people who stoned Stephen with Saul right now asking for letters. We see Saul. His life mission was to destroy Christianity and the message of salvation in Jesus. Saul's, Saul's life goal and passion was the destruction of this, the destruction of the message of hope alone in, in Jesus alone. We were introduced to Saul in chapter 7, as I've already pointed to, um, as the angry crowd was stoning Stephen, they were laying the garments at the feet of who? At the feet of Saul. Saul was the one pushing for the murdering of Stephen. He was the leader. And the men were just carrying out what the leader Saul was saying to do. And in chapter 9, verse 1, we see clearly that the resolve of Saul had not changed. If anything, the murder of Stephen increased it and flamed it. Saul still breathing threats and murders. This man had one mission, had one goal, and he was dead set on achieving it. Verse 1 says he was breathing murders. If Saul could have killed every single Christian, uh, he would have. And he would have had no shame in doing so. We read in chapter 8, after Stephen was murdered, the church scattered throughout the regions of Judea and of Sumeria. And we see today that Saul is not content with just cleaning up his area. He wanted to rid the gospel proclamation to the edge of the earth. He wanted to track them down. He wanted to arrest them. He wanted to arrest and have murdered all the followers of 
Christ. He goes to the high priest. He gets the letters he needs signed off, gets their stamps of approval so that he can track them down, arrest them, bring them back to Jerusalem so that they would receive a unfair trial, which seems to be a theme, um, and all in hopes that they would be stoned to death and removed from the earth. And I'm pretty confident that without the supernatural work of the Jesus and of the Holy Spirit, he would have succeeded. He would have brought many Christians back. He would have gotten more and more letters. And he would have went everywhere that he possibly could have to capture every Christian that he could have. Saul saw the Christian as a pest that needed to be exterminated. He was obsessed with the destruction of Christianity. And I know I keep saying this. Y'all are like, probably move on now. But like, seriously, I want you to understand the intense, ferocious hatred that Saul had towards Christ, towards the church of Christ. Saul, as we know him as Paul, whenever he wrote the book of Galatians, in verse 13, chapter 1, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Also, later in Acts, we might get there in two years or so, later in Acts, as Paul is speaking to Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, verse 11, And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Paul really... I can't like read this and not think of Hitler in some ways. I just want to paint that for you. We see, that's probably the universal figure that we know of now that had an extreme hatred, that had a mission, that went through with that mission, that had no conviction of the sin that he was performing. That's Saul. Now with all this said, uh, this man, this murderer... Saul of Tarsus is the picture of every single person outside of Christ. And it is the picture of every single person in this room before saving faith. Saul is the picture of the person without saving faith. Before Jesus Christ revealed himself to you, you were just like this murderer, Saul of Tarsus. Colossians 1, Ephesians 2, Romans 1 through 3, and many, many other portions of Scripture point to the complete hostility and hatred that man has towards God outside of the saving work of Christ. Every single person in this room before they were placed in a position of humility before they were put in that position of humility, before Jesus Christ revealed himself to you, you were a hater of God. You were a hater of his word, whether actively or passively. Nonetheless, you were haters of God. Whether you want to 
admit this or not, the Bible speaks all too plainly of man being dead in their sins, of man being dead in their transgressions, haters of God, incapable of righteous living. Christian, in this room, you were not merely sick. You were not merely lacking in spiritual life. You were, in fact, dead. You were not only partakers in the evil that this world applauds, but you were also a follower of the prince of the power of the air, a.k.a. Satan. You were children of wrath. Every single one of us. It's so interesting because a lot of the words that I just said come from books that Paul wrote in the New Testament. Praise God for that testimony and his work in him. Uh, and I know that today we will have some with us that do not know Jesus. Therefore, I say all of this to you as well because I want you to understand where you, in fact, stand. And that is in opposition to God. That is as a hater of God. I am thankful that you are here. I really am. Um, but I want you to see your rebellion. I want you to grab a hold of by faith to Jesus so you can experience His love, so you can experience his mercy so that you can experience his grace that he extends to sinners. The same grace that we see here in Acts 9. And now we get to the title of my sermon. The revelation of Jesus Christ to the sinner. I do not have any points this time, so I apologize for all of you. Point followers, I, I crushed it last time, but uh, this time we are not crushing it. Uh, so, but hopefully your A-type mind can still track with me. Uh, and we're thankful for that mind, by the way. Uh, it's not a down. Um, so anyways, we see here that Saul is approaching Damascus uh, midday as the sun is at its brightest. Uh, he is traveling with his caravan, with his letters from the high priest that are stamped and approved for the mission of capturing Christians. And Saul is no doubtedly full of pride. He is full of arrogance and undoubtedly has much excitement, much anticipation of the plan that he is going to get to carry out. And a light from heaven shines around him, a light that overpowers the brightness of the sun. The full brightness of Christ in all his glory shines on Saul and knocks him to the ground. And Saul is placed in a posture of humility before Jesus. When a sinner sees the glory of Jesus, this is the reaction. A posture of humility. An inner reckoning of humility. Even when a saint catches a glimpse of the glory of God, this is the reaction. Isaiah, Jacob, Moses, several people in Numbers, 
many people in the Old Testament, uh, John and the book of Revelation, and many people throughout all of Scripture have had this reaction when confronted with the revelation of Jesus Christ. But the record of John in Revelation is probably my favorite. Um, Revelation 1.17 says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Short and to the point. It is overwhelming to behold the glory of God. Man cannot stand proud before a perfect and holy God when he reveals himself to him, but is placed in a position of humility. And the next part is, it's really interesting because Jesus Christ decisively exclaims, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Jesus Christ right here is speaking of his intimate union with his church, with his bride. If you are attacking God's people, you are attacking God. If you make little of God's people, you are making little of God. If you mock God's people, you mock God. Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And Paul asks, who are you, Lord? Have you ever answered your question in the question that you asked? Because that is what Paul just did. Who are you, Lord? That's what Paul just did. It's so awesome to read this because we see Jesus reveal himself to Saul. And Saul ascribes the proper title to the one he has been persecuting. The one who he has hated with a ferocious passion. He now asks his question and gives the proper title to the one he is asking the question to. Who are you, Lord? The sovereign ruler of the galaxies. The sovereign ruler of his church, of his bride. Jesus is revealing to Saul, I am exactly who I said I was when I walked this earth. I am exactly who my church is saying that I am. I am, I am. That is what Jesus is saying to Saul. That is what he is revealing to Saul. And in a split second, Saul has the moment of realization that the one who he hated... The one that he attacked is the one and only Jesus Christ. And you have to realize, too, like the extent of this realization coming from Judaism. Paul realizes in a split second, Jesus Christ is, in fact, who he said he was. Jesus Christ did in fact die on the cross to save sinners. Jesus Christ was buried. Jesus Christ had the stone rolled away and rose from the dead. Jesus Christ did in fact ascend to heaven. Jesus Christ is in fact Lord. All of that. And Jesus says to him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Saul of Tarsus met Jesus Christ. 
This is the picture of a sinner and God's work of conversion. As we were all hell-bound, as we were all on our own path of rebellion, on our own path of destruction, Christ came to us. Jesus, who conquered the grave, revealed himself to you in all his glory. Now, here's the thing. This looks different for everyone. I understand that not everyone has this Damascus Road moment. I was even speaking to Jacob last night. And Jacob, he doesn't remember when he got saved. He knows he's saved. Not everyone has that moment. So this could have been you in jail. Could have been you at church camp. Could have been as... Could have been you at home as your parents just discipled you faithfully to love Jesus. Could have been while you were in church. Could have been while you were at college in your dorm. Could have been while singing a song of praise to Jesus. It could be maybe even in these pews right now as I'm preaching the truth of the gospel and preaching the truth of Jesus. Jesus revealed himself to you and your desperate need for him. That is my prayer too, that Jesus is revealing that to you. The living, risen, victorious Jesus of Nazareth, who has shown himself to you by the power of the Holy Spirit, who brought conviction of sin and gave you the gift of faith in Jesus. That is what we see here with Saul. That is what we are seeing right now with Saul of Tarsus. And that is true of every Christian. Conversion is an amazing, miraculous, supernatural work of God. That the creator, that the sustainer of all things would personally and intimately make himself known to a sinner baffles me. And Jesus says to Saul, rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Saul rises to his feet and as I've already said, as quick as a flash, we see the man who was the chief persecutor of the church and hater of God become a bondservant to the one and only Jesus Christ. One moment prideful, one moment arrogant, and in an instance placed in the submission under the rule of Jesus Christ. Conversion is an instantaneous thing. In one moment, bound and determined to murder Christ's church. And in the next, placed in union. Placed in union with the beloved Son. And notice too the others that Saul was traveling with in verse 7. Verse 7, the men who were traveling with him stood speechless. Hearing the voice but seeing no one. And this is what the gospel looks like when it's proclaimed to a group of people. Some will believe. Some will not. They heard what was said, but they did not grasp the message. They heard what was said, but they did not have the revelation of Jesus that Paul had had. Saul. I keep doing that. I'm really sorry. Paul and Saul. It's just so close. Uh... They did not have the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus in his sovereign grace would save one, but not 
another. This is how Jesus saved you and how he saves all. The work of God in conversion is, once again, no, no less than miraculous and supernatural. Saul was not looking for Jesus, but Jesus sought him out, laid hold of him, and claimed him as his own possession. The conversion of the Christian is this way, and it is also instantaneous. The grace that Jesus extended to Saul is, and this grace that Jesus extends to the Christian is a grace that is also irresistible. It would have been quite bizarre and impossible uh, to say uh, for Saul to have this experience, to have the revelation of Jesus Christ and just, all right, let's go to Damascus. Let's do what we were going to do. It would have been impossible. He would not have been able to carry out his original plan, and he did not carry out his original plan. The grace that Jesus extends to the Christian when he reveals himself is irresistible. I was miserable for about three months whenever the Lord started working in me. And then became a Christian. I was speaking to Denton's son last night about this, and uh, he brought up the fact that people view God, I think he heard it from a sermon, that people view God as one who is waiting outside the door, just saying, uh, if, you, if only you would open the door for me. You know, and I, I've heard this. Uh, and I want to, I mean, I want to be gracious and understanding, but that is not a biblical view of Jesus in conversion. That is not a biblical view of the one who is sovereign over all things, sovereign over salvation, sovereign over conversion. Jesus does not need permission from anyone. In his sovereignty, he will extend his grace to whomever he will, and it will be effective in converting and saving a sinner. That's what we see in Saul. And that's what you have experienced if you are a Christian in this room. I've already spoken briefly about the position of humility that we see Saul uh, placed in as he's collapsed to the ground. But in verse 8, it continues into the humiliation of Saul. Verse 8, Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Saul, before the revelation of Jesus Christ, was pride-filled. Saul, before the revelation of Jesus Christ, was arrogant. He was confident. His ego was huge. And we see this mindset a lot in our modern times, I think. And it's also the mindset that's pushed have a high view of self, self, self. That's, that's pretty normal in our culture. I'm not saying hate yourself. I'm just, well, uh, let me take that back. Uh, we're going to just close that thought process down. Uh, uh, but, we, but in our culture nowadays, we have this high view of self, self, self. And um, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, your view of self is completely altered. You are humbled. 
Saul now has to be led by the hand for one of the most simple human tasks. He can no longer rely on himself or his ability, but he is completely reliant on another to be able to complete the simple task of walking in the right direction. The grace of Jesus brought him to complete humility. And it's interesting what we see here too, because once blind spiritually, but could see physically, now what we see is blind physically, but with spiritual sight to see the risen Christ. And, and that really is what conversion does. Conversion just flips everything upside down. The worldviews that you had, everything like that. Conversion just attacks it. And it's like you don't even have control over it. It's like it's a work of God or something. The proud become humble. The self-sufficient and ego-filled become poor in spirit. The one who used to find enjoyment in the world are now the mournful. The strong become meek. The one who is hungered and thirsted for self now hunger and thirst for righteousness. The evil and tyrannical become merciful. The wicked and deceitful become pure in heart. The instigator and agitator becomes the peacemaker. And the persecutor of Christ becomes the persecuted for righteousness' sake. It's a complete flip. Verse 9, And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Saul is in absolute shambles. After seeing Christ in all of his glory and after being humiliated and after the Lord has confronted him and said, you are persecuted me, he is in ruins. Some believe that this is Saul fasting intentionally after the revelation that he had just experienced. I do not think that was the case. I believe Saul was completely disturbed in his inner being. He was convicted of his sin he had committed against Jesus. And in awe after the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you are drawn near to God, and if Jesus reveals himself to you, it will have a considerable and noticeable effect on your life. You cannot live an entire life in complete rebellion to God. You cannot be a hater of God and have His grace revealed to you and not be utterly changed and perhaps even have your drinking and eating affected. It is impossible to have God reveal Himself to you and not be dramatically changed. And that is what we see in the conversion of Saul. And that is the experience of the Christian. Now, I've already said this, but understand that there is not an aha moment. There's not for everyone. There's not this salvation happen or conversion happen right here, 
I was here, I was there, I was there. That, that's not, for, that, not everyone has that experience. Maybe, you, like I said, maybe you were just a kid who was discipled well and you knew Jesus ever since you remember knowing Jesus. That's, that's an amazing testimony. So I don't want you to leave here today thinking, well, my conversion didn't look like this, so is my conversion real? That's not what I want to stir in you. Not everyone has this dramatic Damascus Road moment where you can point to the day and time, but the components, like I said at the beginning, are there for the Christian either way. You were once hostile towards God. You were humbled before Jesus. Jesus did reveal himself to you and gave you the gift of faith and gave you new sight and gave you a new heart. You were once blind, but were given sight. And as we will see next week, you were given the Holy Spirit. As we will continue on in the conversion of Saul and see him, uh, see further the transformation of Saul as Ananias is sent by the Lord to speak to him. So, last night, I went back and forth for a while trying to land this thing. Uh, and the, the one point that kept coming to my mind, which I will share, but this, I actually just didn't go with this. But um, the one point of application is uh, no one is outside of the reach of God's grace. Uh, so preach to them. Give them the gospel. Love them. And at the times you think someone is far out of the reach, uh, I would encourage you to reconsider your condition. Reconsider your condition before grace and then consider the unmatched, irresistible, sovereign grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, like I said, as I kept trying to land this thing, I kept coming back to the fact of conversion being this intimate, personal action that God works in the sinner. So, Christian, and here today, I want to leave you with this as my main point of application. Rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Roughly 2,000 years ago, the perfect sinless Son of God died an innocent death. Took the full wrath of God. He purchased for you then the forgiveness of sins. And at the time of your conversion, at the time that you received sight, at the time Jesus revealed himself to you, the gospel and everything that was accomplished with it was applied to you. So the application today is, Jesus applied salvation to you. Jesus applied the gospel and the benefits of it to you. That's the application. To you individually, at the moment you receive the gift of faith, the work has been finished, and the forgiveness of sins was applied to you at the moment Jesus revealed himself to you, and you believed. This is something truly wonderful to rest in. And so that is the application, rest 
Uh, you were once enemies, now you are sons. Rest in the goodness of Jesus. Let's pray.